Hey, what's going on, everyone? Thank you all for tuning in to another edition of Kicking Out of Two. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth, this week, and we are getting set for Survivor Series coming up this Sunday. WWE is going to be presenting a Survivor Series with Raw versus SmackDown versus NXT. Should be a pretty fun show. The buildup's been pretty solid. Not great, but solid stuff. And with that being said, you know me, I like to bring things full circle, keep it retro with talking about Survivor Series history. And this show, in particular you hit that download button for a reason and this week the reason is you're going to find out just how i get to rebuild reconstruct rebook survivor series 1992 now for those of you that are faithful listeners, I greatly appreciate that. For those of you that are new to the party, uh, I was originally scheduled to do a Survivor Series watch party with uh, Dennis Levy. We were trying to set something up. Schedules didn't work out. We were going to watch the 1990 Survivor Series, which was won in the polls recently. Everyone voted for it. That was the, the Survivor Series people wanted to see me cover in watch party form, but unfortunately schedules didn't allow it, so I thought I'd take a little shift uh, on the road, so to speak, and uh, make a little detour and go a different route and I thought you know with my time on Weekend Warriors with Kobe Nida we've been covering 1992 WWF and WCW with uh, superstars of Saturday night and I've always been fond of the year 1992 in wrestling. I think it's an underrated year. People think that it was the beginning of the downfall of the WWF and just wrestling in general, but I still think there was some pretty good quality stuff on both ends. There was not some great stuff, I'll say that. There was some crap. There was some bullshit, but there was some really good stuff. And this particular Survivor Series was the first year that the company ditched and abandoned the elimination match format as the centerpiece of this show. They only had one Survivor Series elimination match on this card. Everything else was standard singles matches or tag team matches. Had a couple of gimmick matches, a couple title matches. So, um, yeah, this uh, this I thought you know what were what if uh, you know in 1992 keeping the same roster, same guys, a couple surprises here and there. We were to go back to that elimination match format as the entire focal point of this Survivor Series card. And and I, I love doing all the what-if scenarios. I kind of do it with Trading Places. Trading Places is a little different, though, because Trading Places, I like to realistically map out the tra trajectories based on the way the landscape is shaped at that time in, in the particular companies, whether it's WWF, WCW. I don't try to go off the beaten path here. I'm going to go a little bit off the beaten path because I'm going to do something that I've really not been wanting to do since I started this podcast, and that was Fantasy Book, because you get a lot of podcasts out there. Guys think they're Monday morning bookers, armchair quarterbacks, and that they can, you know, book the whole territory and do some phenomenal things with it. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying I can, but I thought I'd give my, you know, put my name in the hat and give it a shot and see how I do. Um, and so hopefully, you know, you guys, uh, you, you guys enjoy it and maybe, you know, what I construct, what I built, what I rebooked when it came to the 1992 Survivor Series event is something that you guys might find enjoyable. Um, and if you do or you don't, then uh, please hit me up on social media, facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two. You can hit that like button. You can find all the links to archive shows, including this one, because that's where you hit the download button when you came over to the, the Facebook page. Or did you do it on Twitter? Because our handle is at kicking out two, K-I-C-K-N. 
O-U-T, and the number two. And if you didn't find us on there, then you might have found us on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network on Podbean, where you can find all the great shows from the Retromania Network by searching Retromania with a W. You'll find all the archives of Kicking Out of Two, all the other great shows, like I mentioned, Marking Out the Day's Weekend Warriors, Gaijin Wrestling Radio, Hulkamania is Dead, Origins of Attitude, and other great individual bonus content. Got some great stuff up there. If you guys love retro pro wrestling podcasts, Kobe does a great job with all the, the different content he has over there. The show we do with Marking Out the Day's Weekend Warriors, it's a lot of fun. And like I said, uh, kind of bringing that 1992 flavor that we've got over there on Weekend Warriors here to kick it out or two with this rebooking of Survivor Series 1992. And if Podbean ain't your thing, if you are a Google Play guy, if you're an Apple Podcast guy, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify, or any other podcast platform available, you can search Retromania with a W. You'll find all the great shows over there. So Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network, all of our shows are just about anywhere. So search Retromania with a W. You'll find all those shows over there. <sighs> all right, let's do this. Um, like I said, I'm going to kind of stay true to the, the the current roster at that time in 1992 um, and uh, give you guys a little bit of flavor of what I would have done or what I would have liked to have seen take place at this particular Survivor Series with a couple little surprises here and there, something that you wouldn't expect. Um, but, you know, also kind of keeping true to the rivalries and the storylines and, you know, the, the, the intermingling of guys, um, you know, I'm hopefully... It's going to be something that you guys enjoy. Uh, but before I get into that, let me uh, give you guys the original card that took place in 1992. Um, we saw a dark match between Crush and the Repo Man with Crush Victorious. Um, if you if you listen to Marking Out the Day's Weekend Warriors, Crush was introduced as a new single star earlier that year in 1992. Repo Man was just you know doing his thing. Um, they had a couple of run-ins here and there. They had a match at SummerSlam that year um, in 1992. Nothing really uh, to write home about when it came to that, uh, the, the build-up. But um, they had a dark match on the show, and Crush was victorious. And then the main card, the opening match, saw the Head Shrinkers, defeat high energy um just a random match that was kind of thrown together uh, at the last minute to put some guys on the card uh, 1992 was an interesting year like i said for the wwf they were kind of keeping with the you know the, the the standard formula but at the same time they were trying new things with some new guys um the next match on the card saw the big boss man defeat nails in a nightstick match um Solid match, nothing to, you know, they had a long-standing rivalry that, um, you know, this was their first big meeting on, on pay-per-view, um, on television. They had little run-ins here and there, but for the most part, kept each other separate. Nails debuted, attacked Bossman, Bossman was out for months, and Nails was just, you know, running roughshod over everybody. Bossman returns, he wants his revenge, they finally settled in a nightstick match, and that's what we saw at Survivor Series that year in 1992. Um, we also would get... Uh, Mr. Perfect and the Macho Man Randy Savage defeating Ric Flair and Razor Ramon in a in a traditional tag team match, not a regular Survivor Series match, just a standard tag team match. They won by DQ. Um, Flair and Razor, uh, you know, uh, you know, wouldn't adhere to the rules from the referee, and I think there was a chair involved, and we got all kinds of crazy hijinks. Um, if you remember correctly, uh, Mr. Perfect was a last-minute replacement for the Ultimate Warrior, who was let go by the WWF for failing a, a, a drug test. So they slotted perfect in at the last minute, um, like nine days before the event. And um, 
he tagged up with Macho Man. Perfect was Ric Flair's protege, uh, and he was the executive consultant to Ric Flair, as well as Razor Ramon, too, who was a part of that little stable that Bobby Heenan kind of um, had going on. I would say stable, but like, you know, alliance. Um, we would then see Yokozuna make his pay-per-view debut, defeating Virgil. Um, nothing really to write home about, but it was a strong showing for the debuting Yokozuna. Um, I said this on a recent... Um, edition of uh, Weekend Warriors, Yokozuna was that generation's version of Andre the Giant. He was that big man. He was that monster. And they, they, they brought him out pretty strong um, in the weeks prior leading up to this match. Um, we would then see um, Tatanka defeat the model Rick Martel, another rivalry that was longstanding. Um, model took Tatanka's you know, Indian feathers and he kept them hostage for a long time and the two of them didn't really have any issues for a while and then all of a sudden they revisited this again it was like oops we forgot to book the finish so let's let's have the match at the pay-per-view um, also on this card we saw the Nasty Boys end up as the sole survivors as they teamed with the Natural Disasters to defeat Money Incorporated and the Beverly Brothers it was not long before this that um the Nasty Boys were screwed out of a tag team title shot thanks to their manager, Jimmy Hart. They, Jimmy Hart helped uh, Money Inc. get the title shot, and then the Head Shrinkers helped Money Inc. win and defeat the Natural Disasters. And then we would see these two teams go, uh, these four teams go at it. Uh, Beverly Brothers was already inserted into the mix um, after uh, they had had uh, you know, a couple of run-ins with the Natural Disasters, but um, a, a tag team match at SummerSlam in 1992 that year but um nothing really of a major note following that um but they kind of played off of their their past rivalry to interject them into the match um the next match here we would see the undertaker defeat kamala in a coffin match um another long-standing rivalry between undertaker and kamala that that got started before SummerSlam. they had their match at SummerSlam that year and then kamala um would you know grow grow very uh very scared of undertaker um and the powers that the undertaker had and uh, it would eventually lead to this coffin match and kamala would be scared of the coffin and he wouldn't want to get in the coffin well undertaker pinned him defeated him then put him in the coffin and literally nailed uh, the hammered the nails into the coffin um, and then finally, the main event came when Bret the Hitman Hart defeated Shawn Michaels to retain the WWF Championship. Now, um, originally this match was scheduled to not be for the championship. However, uh, Bret Hart defeated Ric Flair at a live event a couple of weeks prior and him and michaels kind of had an on again off again rivalry um they were it looked like they were building towards this in the middle of 1992 after wrestlemania 8 when brett won the title the intercontinental title from uh, rowdy rowdy piper um and the way that you know from wrestlemania 8 to this point i felt like wwf storylines were very confusing even though there was some good stuff um they would kind of start and stop certain things, and they wouldn't really um, finish some stuff. Um, guys were kind of all over the place. Michaels had issues with Brett, but then he had issues with the model, but then eventually he would have issues with Bulldog, who he would defeat for the Intercontinental title. Um, Bulldog was originally scheduled to wrestle on this card against the Mountie and defend the Intercontinental title, but... He failed a drug test as well. He had to get let go. They put the belt on Michaels. Michaels went into this match as the Intercontinental Champion, but did not have to defend his Intercontinental Championship against Brent. And uh, overall, I thought this was a solid Survivor Series, but it wasn't 
what Survivor Series um, started as with the with the uh, the elimination format, with the cards centering around those matches, and that was what was disappointing to me. Um, even though this was a solid pay per view, um, it just kind of lost that that feel that Survivor Series brought with those elimination matches. Now let's get into how I would reshape this card based off of the events that had transpired in real time in 1992 and sticking with the Survivor Series elimination match format. Um, first and foremost, I would bring back the grand finale match of survival. We only saw that once in Survivor Series history at the 1990 Survivor Series, which we were going to watch on the, uh, the, the, the watch party, which I, I'm still going to try and get to, by the way. just want you all to know that if you voted for it, you wanted it, you're going to get it. We might do a bonus show Thanksgiving week. Not sure yet, but at some point, you're going to get a Survivor Series watch party. If it doesn't happen this year, then I'll make sure it happens next year on the 30th anniversary of that Survivor Series event. So I uh, just wanted to let you all know who voted for this and wanted it. I'm going to make sure it happens at some point or another. I do apologize. Um, but yeah, I would bring the grand finale match of Survival back to the Survivor Series. I thought it was a fun little concept. Um, the, the, the survivors of the winning teams would then eventually meet and some would form you know, good guys on one side, bad guys on the other, and then you would have these super teams and you know, they did it in 1990 with uh, the Million Dollar Man, Rick the Model Martel, the Warlord, and Hercules and Paul Roma of Power and Glory against uh, Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan, and Tito Santana. And Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior would end up becoming the ultimate survivors, the sole survivors. But I'd bring that grand finale match of survival back because um, that, I think, uh, you know, would, would be fun in the Survivor Series card. Here's what else I would do before we get to the matches. Um, I would hype up the return of Hulk Hogan making a big announcement at Survivor Series. Um, if you remember, in 1992, after his match with uh, Psycho Sid at WrestleMania 8, Hulk Hogan had disappeared for a while. He was taking a break, um, going off to film some movies, work on some other projects. Um, heading into that match, they questioned his future. They didn't call it a retirement match, but they had said, you know, this may possibly be Hulk Hogan's last match in the WWF. Um, and even as we went off the air at that WrestleMania, Ultimate Warrior made the save, and him and Hogan celebrated. And, you know, Gorilla Monsoon had said, you know, Hulkamania is truly immortal and it will live forever. But um, we didn't know if that was going to be Hulk Hogan's last match or not. Well, for this story, for my Survivor Series 1992, um, I would... Uh, I would announced that Hogan is coming to Survivor Series to make an important announcement regarding his future in the WWF, so uh, be on the lookout for that. Um, the first match that I would book for the 1992 Survivor Series an elimination match, I should say, would be um, the team of Yokozuna, Bam Bam Bigelow, Skinner, and Damian Demento taking on the team of Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Virgil, Bob Backlund, and Max Moon. Now, why would I book this match? Well, usually there's a Survivor Series match where you just get a hodgepodge full of guys, you put them together to put them on the card, and this is what's going to happen. Um, this would essentially really be a showcase match for Yokozuna, um, who had made his debut a few weeks prior. But, um, you know, Duggan had just come back recently. Virgil was kind of in and out. Bob Backlund was making a comeback. And Max Moon had made his debut. So you just kind of throw the four of them together. And then you have Yokozuna, who captains a team. He's a newcomer to the WWF. He enlists in Bam Bam Bigelow, who is also making his return. He would make his return the week after Survivor Series in 19. 92, but for this story, he's gonna debut. He's gonna return at the Survivor Series as a part of um, 
Yokozuna's team. Skinner, he's, you know, he, he's around, doesn't do much, but he's around, um, you know, doesn't hurt to have him on the card. And then Damian Demento recently debuted before that Survivor Series, so why not put him in this match? Um, the next uh, Survivor Series match that I would that I would uh, book, we would have the Beverly Brothers teaming with the Head Shrinkers to take on High Energy and the Natural Disasters in a four-on-four elimination match. Now, originally, um, two of these teams were a part of that one traditional Survivor Series match at that pay-per-view in, in November of 1992, that being the Natural Disasters and the Beverly Brothers. Um, and going along with that story, like I said, Disasters had some issues with the Beverly Brothers, but it was the Head Shrinkers that cost them the WWF Tag Team titles. And High Energy now, kind of inserting them into this situation, they had a match at that Survivor Series against the Head Shrinkers, but just throwing another tag team into this mix here, um, getting them mixed in with these other three teams, um, I think helps the stock of high energy. So uh, that would be a um, another traditional Survivor Series elimination match. Here's one that uh, that you might like. Um, Undertaker captaining a team along with the Big Boss Man, El Matador, Tito Santana, and Crush taking on the team of Kamala, Nails, the Repo Man, and the Berserker. Now, let's break this down here for a minute. Um, Crush and Repo Man uh, had a dark match on this pay-per-view, so why not put them in this Survivor Series elimination match? El Matador, Tito Santana. I mean, uh, you know, he's a, a quality wrestler, a quality guy. Um, I Put him on the card because, you know, he's going to produce. Why not? Um, put him in a, in a decent role on a team with someone as high profile as Undertaker or even Big Boss Man. Um, Big Boss Man. He's had his issues with Nails since Nails debuted in the WWF. Um, Undertaker and Kamala has been well documented at that time. They had that match at SummerSlam. Hold off the coffin match for a later date and have these two captain their Survivor Series team. Now, where does Berserker fit into this? Well, Berserker tried to stab the Undertaker with a sword on an episode of Superstars earlier that year, and they never really resolved their issues, so kind of throw Berserker in the mix, and you got yourselves a four-on-four -four Survivor Series elimination match. Um... Here's another good one. Uh, Captain Bret the Hitman Hart, WWF champion, teaming with his brother-in-law, the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, Marty Jannetty, and Tatanka to take on the team of Shawn Michaels, the Mountie, the model Rick Martel, and Papa Shango. Now, how do all these guys mix and intertwine with each other? Well, let's go, let's go from the bottom here. Um, Tatanka and the model Rick Martel, they had a match at the... At the uh, the, the Survivor Series pay-per-view in 1992. Their issues are still unresolved, so they it's natural that they are on opposing teams. Um, the Mountie and the Bulldog were scheduled for an Intercontinental Championship match with Bulldog as the Intercontinental Champion. In this story, Bulldog's not the Intercontinental Champion, but he hasn't been fired yet from the WWF, okay? That's, that, that's, that's what goes on in my story here. Um, so naturally, they'd be on opposing sides. Um, Marty Jannetty just returned at that time in real time in 1992. And uh, he was out for revenge uh, against his former partner, Shawn Michaels, who threw him through the barbershop window. So naturally, Jannetty would want to get his hands on Michaels and uh, you know side with Brett, who is the captain of this team, who's had his issues with Shawn Michaels, who's also had his issues with the model Rick Martel um, earlier that year, and who also had his issues with Papa Shango. Papa Shango tried to put a curse on Bret the Hitman Hart. Some say that in that time period, Bret Hart's loss to Bulldog at SummerSlam was a result of Papa Shango's curse from days prior. 
bing, bang, boom, you got yourself another Survivor Series elimination match. And rounding out these Survivor Series elimination matches, you have the team of the Ultimate Maniacs, Macho Man and the Ultimate Warrior, teaming with the Nasty Boys to take on the team of Ric Flair, Razor Ramon, and the WWF Tag Team Champions, Money Incorporated. Talked about it earlier. The Nasties were screwed out of by Jimmy Hart out of a title shot. Money Inc. was slotted in. Money Inc. became the new tag team champions. There's a natural beef there. Savage has had issues with Flair. He's had issues with Ramon. The original idea was Savage and Warrior against Flair and Ramon in a standard tag team match. Well, Warrior doesn't, you know, Warrior doesn't get fired yet. He doesn't get popped for drugs. So keep him in the mix here. And, the, and these four men team up to take on Flair, Ramon, and Money Incorporated, and you got yourselves a, a, a top match for Survivor Series in an elimination style. Um, and that is your Survivor Series 1992 card. And that does it this week for another edition of Kicking Out. No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. I, I, <laughs> I told you I was going to rebook it. I'm going to rebook it. Um, I'm going to go each match. I'm going to go eliminations. I'm going to talk about everything, and I hope I'm going to do a great job. And if you guys don't like it, be honest with me because I could totally take constructive criticism. Um, I'm going against everything that I believe in when it comes to podcasting and pro wrestling. Um, I hate the fantasy book, but I thought this would be a good idea to do it and give it a try. Dip my toe in the water, if you will. Um, so here we go, Survivor Series 1992. We open with the classic Survivor Series theme music playing in the background as Vince McMahon introduced us to the broadcast alongside Bobby the Brain Heenan live from Richfield, Ohio in the Richfield Coliseum, which held that Survivor Series that year, November the 25th, 1992, mind you. They run down some of the matches on the card, which include the Ultimate Maniacs and the Nasty Boys against Flair, Razor Ramon, and Money Incorporated. And uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan, he's got some skin in the game with that match and predicts that Flair's team will not only be a cohesive unit, but they will also survive and end 1992 going into 1993 on top of the WWF. He says that all the rumors of tension between himself and Mr. Perfect are just rumors stirred up by Randy Savage and that they have nothing to worry about. Now, real time, when Bret Hart beat Mr. Per or beat Ric Flair for the WWF Championship, Mr. Perfect was on commentary and um, you know, following that on Superstars, and he talked about his displeasure of Flair taking the match and losing the title. And Vince kind of stirred the pot a little bit on commentary and said, you know, uh, there's stuff going on between you and Bobby the Brain. He and I heard a rumor that things are not good between the two of you. And Perfect kind of, you know, shrugged that off. Um, we're going to kind of keep that in this story here um, as we continue. Um, Vince begs to differ when it comes to uh, Heenan's uh, lack of worrying when it comes to the Survivor Series match. And then he reminds us that there's a major announcement from Hulk Hogan this evening, and speculation has it that he's officially announcing his retirement from the WWF. Brain says, yes, it's true. Hogan is leaving the WWF, and he came to the Survivor Series to say goodbye to all of his pukamaniacs. Plus, the return of the grand finale match of survival and much more here tonight at the 1992 WWF Survivor Series. And our opening contest is with the WWF champion, Bret the Hitman Hart, the British Bulldog, Davey Boy Smith, the Native American Tatanka, and Marty Jannetty taking on the team of Shawn Michaels, the model Rick Martel, the Mountie, and Papa Shango. Now, when it comes to these matches, I'm not going to go hold for hold and move for move here. I'm going to give you some bullet points, kind of give you the Cliff Notes version of it, um, and, and talk about the eliminations and... Uh, 
take it from there. You know, like I said, I'm not an expert fantasy booker, but um, I'm not also going to bore you guys to death for, you know, God knows how long. Um, so, uh, you know, this match starts off with Brett and Papa Shango. The bell rings and Shango goes on the attack but manages to miss Brett hitting the corner who then rolls Shango up for the quick pin and the first elimination. The baby faces are up 4-3 to three with Papa Shango eliminated from the team. The next elimination comes when Marty Jannetty, who's been trying to get his hands on Shawn Michaels during this match, finally has the opportunity. And after he's worn Michaels down with some of his aerial assault and some chain wrestling, he sets him up for the infamous rocker dropper. Michaels manages to escape and schoolboys him for the quick pin by putting his foot on the rope for leverage. Now, both teams are even. The next elimination would come when Tatanka goes for a Samoan drop on the model Rick Martel. Jimmy Hart jumps on the apron to distract the referee as chaos ensues with the other participants. Davy Boy knocks Jimmy off, and while that is occurring, Martel blind tags the Mountie, which the referee happened to see. Tatanka clearly didn't see it, and the Mountie runs in to pull Martel off of Tatanka's shoulders, delivering a Russian leg sweep from behind for the elimination. 3-2, Shawn Michaels' team with the advantage. Davy Boy then enters the match, taking apart the Mountie and delivering a power slam for the quick pin immediately following that elimination. Now both teams are even. 2-2, two two, standard tag team match, but with elimination rules. Michaels and the model then go after Bret Hart, and as Jimmy Hart hands the Mountie his shock stick, he jolts Davy Boy as the referee tries to stop him. Davy Boy visibly hurt from that shock stick that the Mountie possesses. Martel takes advantage and applies the Boston Crab, forcing the Bulldog to submit, giving him and Michaels the advantage over Bret Hart. It is now 2-1. to one. Martel and Michaels would manage to get the upper hand on Brett. We'd get a lot of quick tags in and out, working on Brett's leg, trying to wear him down, resulting in him being unable to apply the sharpshooter. The finish comes when the model has Brett in the Boston Crab. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, Marty Jannetty runs down to continue his assault on Shawn Michaels. And as Michaels is running away and the referee's trying to maintain order in the match, Michaels runs through the ring to to escape Jannetty and trips into Martell as he's got Brett locked in the Boston Crab. Now this might sound familiar to some of you that remember this. The hold is broken and Martell is none too pleased that Michaels essentially cost them the match. And now the history between their tension goes back to the summer leading up to their match at SummerSlam. It was Martell wrestling Bret Hart on primetime wrestling for the Intercontinental title when out of nowhere Shawn Michaels showed up sucker punched Bret and the referee sought and called for the bell disqualifying Martell and that's what set up their match at SummerSlam Vince and Bobby then remind us of that and how their issue started um and as that goes on, the heels begin to argue, and they have a shoving match, and all of a sudden, Brett knocks Martell into Michaels, who falls through the second rope and rolls Martell up with a backslide for the elimination. Michaels, so upset, tries to escape and wants to take the countout loss, when all of a sudden, Marty Jannetty throws him back into the ring. Brett hits a front-face atomic drop and then transitions into the sharpshooter, which shows that it's difficult for him to apply since his knee's been damaged during the match. And your winner and sole survivor, the WWF champion, Bret the Hitman Hart. He now moves on to the grand finale match of survival as the captain of his team. Mean Gene manages to get a word with Bret up 
up the aisle way and asks him the condition of his knee. And Brett's being honest as the, as the babyface champion. He knows his knee isn't in great shape, but he's got time on his side. As he's got till the end of the night to heal up for the grand finale match of survival. We go back to Vince and Bobby the Brain as they recap the match, and Brain speculates that Brett may have to forfeit if he can't compete later in the evening. Vince highly doubts we're going to see that as we go to Sean Mooney, who's standing by with the newest team to enter the WWF, the Steiner Brothers. Both brothers, they're fresh off their exit from WCW. They couldn't renew their deal with Bill Watts, so their deals expired, and they were free agents. And this brings them to the WWF, making their debut on screen at Survivor Series. Both of them are excited to be in the company, and they're here to scout the competition and the tag team scene. They plan to uh, face anybody put in their path en route to the WWF tag team titles with whomever is holding the championships. Um... The Steiner said that they will be sitting ringside to watch the action in the 4-on-4 tag team uh, elimination match later on in the evening. Mean Gene Oakland is backstage with Hacksaw Jim Duggan's team comprising of Max Moon, Virgil, and Bob Backlund. Duggan says he picked these men because they've helped comprise his this team of varying styles. Backlund, the collegiate Greco-Roman grappler, Moon, the high flyer, and Virgil, the pugilist, so he can combat the un- so they can combat the unorthodox styles of Yokozuna and his team. Bob Backlund is happy to be back in the WWF and given a second chance at ending his career on a high note. Virgil's always ready for a fight, and Max Moon is all about flying his way to the top of the WWF, and that starts tonight. I mean, you know people are probably going to shit on this but you know it's 1992 you know this is this is one of those cases where you know you get a hodgepodge of guys for a survivor series match you put them together and you see what happens and you know just to get them on the card and this is what they do um and you know i feel like this is something that they could have done in 1992 so uh yeah um this match takes place um yokozuna bam bam bigelow skinner and damian demento taking on Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Virgil, Bob Backlund, and Max Moon. The first elimination comes when Virgil plays a little stick and move with Damian Demento, trying to avoid um, him until he's finally cornered, and Damian chokes him but doesn't break the count, and the referee calls for the bell. Disqualification, Damian Demento is eliminated. Now, like I said, newcomer to the WWF, just debuted a few weeks prior. Um, not sure what their plans were at the time, but I could just imagine if you're a newcomer, um, they want to do something with you. They have some kind of idea with you. So I wouldn't give Damian Demento the loss. If anything, this the, him choking out Virgil kind of shows, you know, you know what he's capable of, and and you know, kind of protects him a little bit. Um, next elimination comes soon after, when Max Moon tags in Virgil after after being choked out, and as he's entering the ring, Skinner. Hits him with that chewing tobacco spit, blinding him in the face. Referee doesn't exactly see that all go down. And then Skinner delivers that gator drop reverse DDT for the victory. And both sides are now even. Next elimination comes when Skinner sets Virgil into the ropes. Virgil goes for a sunset flip, but Skinner holds onto the ropes. And as he's trying to hang on, goes for the chewing tobacco spit handed to him by Mr. Fuji on the outside. He puts some in his mouth. But then Hacksaw Jim Duggan comes around the ring and nails him with a right hand from the outside ring apron. Tobacco spit goes everywhere, and Virgil gets the victory. And another elimination. Baby faces are up. Three to two.
The next elimination comes when Bigelow and Yoko take turns putting the hurt on Virgil. We get a lot of frequent tags in and out. As Virgil is, he's no match. He's taken a beating um, from Skinner. He took one from Damian Demento. And now he falls victim um, to a top rope headbutt from Bam Bam Bigelow for the pin. Both sides are now even. As Yokozuna makes his way into the ring, he's challenged by Bob Backlund. Backlund has made several attempts in this match to use his speed to outsmart Yoko. And even at one point tried to body slam him, but to no avail. Bigelow then gets his licks in from time to time as Duggan is forced to watch on. We would get several belly-to-belly suplexes from Yoko and a bonsai drop later, and Bob Backlund is eliminated. Heels are up now, 2-1. to one. Duggan would eventually take charge to Yoko with his brawling style. A lot of rights and lefts, attempts at some shoulder tackles, maybe even a body slam or two. And Yoko and uh, Bigelow then eventually get the advantage on Duggan, continuing to make frequent tags as Bobby the Brain and Vince discuss the power and sheer humanity that these two possess. Even some early speculation in the commentary of what kind of WWF champion Yokozuna could be someday. Bobby would even compare him to the late, or the, he wasn't late at the time, but he would compare him to Andre the Giant and his time managing Andre the Giant. Thought that, you know, thought that might be interesting for this story. Um, really putting over his size and his, his agility and his display as he continues to assault Duggan. Bigelow is tagged in and he locks in a bear hug, wearing down Duggan as the crowd chants USA. Duggan would eventually fight back and break free with a series of right hands leading to a body slam. Both men are down as Duggan now realizes he's all on his own. He's got nobody to tag in. Bigelow would then eventually get back up, deliver a headbutt to the rib area, further weakening Duggan as he then tags in Yokozuna. We'd get a series of crescent kicks to the rib area and Irish whips into the corner, continuing to wear down Duggan as the referee is asking him if he wants to continue. Duggan is selling the pain in his rib area. Even the announcers on commentary question whether Duggan should continue, including Vince. Brain is adamant that Yoko can and will end Duggan's career. He's even telling Duggan's teammates on commentary to come back out, throw in the towel. Yoko would then tag in Bigelow, who delivered a top rope headbutt to the rib area. He goes for the cover, and Duggan kicks out. He then tags Yoko back in, who drops a big leg on Duggan for a two-count. Another tag to Bigelow, who delivers a running splash into the corner on Duggan. Tag back to Yoko as the referee's trying to get Yoko to back off, as Duggan is in a lot of pain. Yoko then drags Duggan into the corner and sets him up for the bonsai drop. Referee is pleading with Yoko not to do it, but Fuji gives Yoko the sign to go ahead and he delivers a bonsai drop to the rib area of Hacksaw Jim Duggan. As the ref goes to make the count, Yoko gets up and he sets up for another bonsai drop. And as he delivers it, the referee calls for the bell. Duggan is coughing up blood as other referees and officials make their way to the ring to tend to him. Duggan's teammates eventually come back out to assist him, and the referee tells Howard Finkel that due to injuries sustained, Hacksaw Jim Duggan is unable to finish this match, and the winners are Yokozuna and Bam Bam Bigelow. Commentators are really putting over just how dangerous Yokozuna is, but combined with Bam Bam Bigelow, they could be unstoppable heading into the grand finale match of survival against an already injured WWF champion, Bret the Hitman Hart. In this story, it's 1992, it's some crazy stuff. I thought this would be kind of funny to throw this in there, but we're, we're going to get a pre-tape segment from earlier in the day where Sean Mooney is with Kamala's team 
consisting of Nails, Repo Man, and Berserker, along with Mr. Fuji and Harvey Whippleman, who are trying to coach Kamala on how to stuff the Undertaker into the casket. Kind of keeping up with that buildup from, from real time back then in 92, with Kamala being afraid of Undertaker and his casket, kind of implying it into this storyline here, even though there is a four-on-four Survivor Series elimination format. Um, Whippleman tells Sean Moody that he's convinced some random janitor from the building to help with this coffin demonstration because Kim Chi is nowhere to be found and he's beginning to get worried. Repo Man and Berserker are showing Kamala how to do it while trying to calm him down and they even get him close enough to the casket to practice in the event Undertaker tries to put him in the coffin. Nails is in the background with the nightstick foaming at the mouth doing what he's done since he's debuted back in April of 1992. This is just all kinds of crazy hijinks. It's one of those like botchamania, you know, crazy, stupid, hilarious moments that you, you kind of find um, when you go back and watch some of this old footage. So I could see something like this occurring in 1992. Um, Sean Mooney then refers back to the whereabouts of Kim Chi and Whippleman doesn't have a clue, but that he better be there when it comes time for the match later. Our next Survivor Series elimination match is the Beverly Brothers and the Head Shrinkers taking on the natural disasters in and high energy. This match, like I said, similar to the one in 1992, the rules are if your tag partner is pinned, you are also eliminated. We see the Steiner brothers sitting front row at ringside, and as the heels make their way out first, they enter the ring glaring at the Steiners. The baby faces then come out next together, and both the natural disasters and high energy shake hands and greet the Steiners. The match starts off with high energies, Owen Hart using his aerial moves to counter the Beverly Brothers, uh, delivering drop kicks to both of them and flustering them on the outside to, to eventually get to the outside. Beverly's get all worried. They're upset. They, they, they can't get the, the, the best of high energy. They're embarrassed, and they have a few words with the Steiners, who are sitting at ringside, who manage to keep their composure but uh, find, the, find the pleasure in uh, the Beverly Brothers' uh, misfortunes in this, this match. Um, Match continues with quick tags by the babyfaces with high energy displaying their fast-paced style, outsmarting the Beverly Brothers. We then get some double-team moves from both teams early on in this match until the tide begins to turn for high energy after Owen ducks a double clothesline from both Beverly Brothers and returns it with a high cross body to both men. He then tags Coco Beware, and the first elimination comes when Owen and Coco deliver a double drop kick to both Beverly Brothers, with the referee making the double pin for the elimination. The legal man, the legal men, I should say at the time, were Owen Hart and Blake Beverly, and the baby faces are up four to two. Tag partner eliminated as well. The Beverly Brothers are hot about this. They get upset, and they're 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 not happy that they've eliminated. They've been eliminated first, so they begin to jaw with the Steiner brothers, who by now are happy to see them eliminated, and they're standing up in their seats, motioning for them to leave the ringside area. We then get Blake Beverly pie-facing Rick Steiner, which then causes Scott to jump the guardrail and go after them. Crowd pops huge as Rick makes his way over the rail, and both teams are brawling in the outside. The remaining three teams are looking on as referees and officials manage to pull them apart and clear the ringside area of all the chaos. The Beverly's head up the aisle while WWE officials escort the Steiners to the back through the crowd. And the match continues as the Headstringers waste no time picking apart Owen Hart from high energy. Series of double team moves and frequent tags by the head shrinkers. We get some headbutts, some kicks, some submission holds. Their unorthodox style is on full display. And the next elimination comes when Fatu delivers a top rope splash to Owen Hart for the pin. 
Now we get the heavy hitters entering the match. Typical big man match. The match that I think people wanted to see at that time in real time in 1992. Head Shrinkers, Natural Disasters. They got history. Head Shrinkers cost the Natural Disasters. The, the tag team titles, like I said, it was from 1992. We're going to keep that story and implement it into my story and my version of Survivor Series here. Um, as we get both teams not really getting the best of each other. They're just kind of, you know, one-upping each other. Like I said, typical big man match. A lot of power moves. Um, Earthquake mistakenly goes for a headbutt on Samu and realizes that headbutts don't affect the head shrinkers, which then leads to them wasting no time in working on Earthquake and his head. Playing off the attack on Wrestling Challenge weeks prior when they attacked them, costing them the tag team titles to Money, Inc. by sending Earthquake into the guardrail and hitting his head. After some uh, a beating ensues, and uh, the head shrinkers get the advantage. Eventually, Earthquake would come back. He would manage to make the hot tag to Typhoon as he cleans house, and both teams are in the ring brawling. Um, they manage to make it out to the floor with the referee beginning to count. And then the referee would get distracted as Fatu and Typhoon are going at it. All of a sudden, Afa, out of nowhere, takes that big stick that he comes down to ringside with and nails Earthquake in the head, and he's out cold on the floor. Typhoon eventually sees his partners down and goes to help, only for Samu to nail him with a headbutt from behind into the back of his head area, leading to him tagging into Fatu, who delivers the big splash off the top rope for the elimination. Your winner and survivors, the Head Shrinkers. Vince and Bobby then bring it back to Mean Gene, who is with Yokozuna, Mr. Fuji, and Bam Bam Bigelow as they discuss the grand finale match of survival. Bigelow says this is his type of match, and it was meant for him, and he's not planning on losing tonight. Mr. Fuji then tells Mean Gene that the Head Shrinkers are going to be joining Yokozuna and Bam Bam Bigelow as his partners for the main event. Fuji says this team is unstoppable, and Bret Hart better pray he's got a team to back him up because with one good leg, He's in a lot of trouble. Often the head shrinkers show up on the interview set. We get all kinds of craziness going on. Um, the heel team yelling and screaming as Fuji and Afa are laughing at the carnage they plan to cause Bret Hart and his team tonight. As Mean Gene sends it back to Vince and Bobby on commentary, they recap what we, we all just saw, wondering what kind of odds Bret Hart has up against him, not only with his injured knee, but also the fact that he doesn't know who his partners are yet for tonight's main event. Vince then sends it back to Sean Mooney, who is outside the trainer's room waiting to hear from Bret Hart and his status for tonight's main event. He manages to creak open the door just a little bit, and we see that Bret Hart is being taped up as doctors are strongly considering having him forfeit the match. Mooney then asks Bret what his decision will be, and Bret says he's not backing out, and as the WWF champion, he plans to fight anyone, anytime, anywhere. That's typical Bret Hart. Doesn't matter what storyline, what timeline you're in, whether it's 1992 or 2000 and 1992, <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't make a difference. Bret Hart, you know, babyface Bret Hart was always going to stand up and fight no matter what the circumstances were. We get Lord Alfred Hayes, promotional consideration paid for by the following outside the dressing room of Hulk Hogan, trying to get the scoop on his future in the WWF. When all of a sudden, Brutus the Barber Beefcake is seen entering Hulk's dressing room. Lord Alfred Hayes then asks Beefcake if he's here to witness Hulk Hogan retire from the WWF. Beefcake then promises tonight will be a night that WWF fans will never forget. And no matter what Hulk does, he's behind him all the way. 
Go back to Vince and Bobby on commentary, and Brain further drives home the point that Hogan is retiring due to the fact that he called his best friend, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, for support. Vince honestly doesn't really know what to think anymore, and he says that Hogan was last seen at WrestleMania 8, where his future was in question heading into the match with Sid. Maybe after all these months, Vince starts to realize that Hogan has had some time to think, and he could have come to a decision that he ultimately doesn't want to hear, and that's why he brought Beefcake here tonight. He doesn't want to believe it, but he's beginning to think that Bobby the Brain Heenan is onto something, and that Hulk Hogan could be retiring from the WWF. We go back to Sean Mooney, who's with the Nasty Boys and the Ultimate Maniacs. Uh-huh. Mooney does the typical, asks them what their strategy is, and the Nasties talk about being natural survivors on the streets, and this type of match is right up their alley. They may not have always seen eye-to-eye with the Ultimate Warrior and Macho Man Randy Savage, which is true because in 1992, the Nasty Boys were put to task by Jimmy Hart to take out Savage and Warrior heading into Savage and Warrior's SummerSlam match. Um, they had a match on uh, the SummerSlam Spectacular in Primetime Wrestling, which saw Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair get involved, and it was a four-on-two assault on Savage and Warrior, and it really um, drove home the... Uh, the, the tension that Warrior and Savage had going into that in 1992. Real time, by the way. Um, we get... Um, oh, so so yeah, there's, there's history stemming from that. And then the Nasty Boys say that they can agree that Flair, Razor Ramon, and Money Incorporated need a one-way ticket to Nastyville in Pity City. And then the Warrior chimes in and volunteers to be Jimmy Hart's personal tour guide to Pity City. Macho Man says he's got a little extra machismo for Razor Ramon and a special surprise for Ric Flair. Nature boy, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Uh-huh. Jane Main asks what that means, and Savage says, you're going to have to find out tonight. Uh-huh. We then go back to the commentators, and Vince then asks Bobby what he means by that, and Brain says he has no idea. He says he talked with Flair and Ramon earlier in the day, and they assured him that the plan was coming together and everybody was on board. There was no dissension between Mr. Perfect and company, despite what we've heard recently. Perfect on commentary during episodes of Superstars in 1992 real-time was beginning to question Flair's decision to accept the title match with Bret Hart, resulting in losing the championship, like I made mention of earlier. Vince would even stir the pot and question the relationship between Perfect and Heenan, which Perfect would debunk from time to time. In this story, maybe the wheels are falling off for Flair and company a lot sooner than we think. Which leads us to the next match, the Ultimate Maniacs and the Nasty Boys, taking on Ric Flair, Razor Ramon, and the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions, Money Incorporated. We get the heels coming out first to Ric Flair's entrance music with Flair leading the way. Bobby the Brain Heenan stands up from the announcer's podium to call over Mr. Perfect. Mr. Perfect walks over and he tells Perfect to stick to the plan and what we talked about. Perfect smirks and walks away as the rest of the team is making their way to the ring. You could see Flair and Ramon look rather concerned, even confronting Perfect of where his allegiances lie in this match, with Perfect assuring them he's on the right team. Babyfaces come out with separate entrances. Lastly, Savage who then grabs the microphone, promising Flair and his team that their secret weapon is someone within their team. And we'll find out just who that is as the match goes on. Uh-huh. Savage really stirring it up. Uh, you know, he, he, 
He gets the heels to question Perfect again, with all four looking unhappy to find this out as the bell rings and the match is underway. After some frequent tags and miscommunication from the heels, baby faces are taking control early on, flustering them, further driving home the point that this secret weapon they don't know about or who they think it might be is really getting under their skin. It's, 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 it's affecting their game plan. All the baby faces hit their signature spots. Warrior with his clothesline. Nasty Boys managing to get their hands on money for a bit with their brawling style. Perfect and Jimmy Hart eventually would rally the troops and slow things down. And as the match settled down, the first elimination came when the Million Dollar Man sent Jerry Sags into the corner. Or Million Dollar Man is sent into the corner by Sags. Sags charges and DiBiase puts his boots up, knocks him down and covers Sags, but with his feet on the rope, which is not in plain view of the referee, giving the heels the advantage 4-3. to Nobbs makes his way in and is thwarted by Razor Ramon from behind. The heels continue to work on Nobbs for a bit until Flair is tagged in, and he makes Nobbs submit to the figure 4. 4-2, to two, heels are in the lead. The match continues with the heels working on both Savage and the Warrior, Savage mainly, um, isolating him in their corner, Macho would try to make a comeback and tag in Warrior, but coming up short with DiBiase uh, stopping him or even IRS. Eventually, IRS would uh, work on Savage's lower back with an abdominal stretch, losing, using the ropes as leverage while Jimmy or Perfect distract the referee. Heenan then speculates that Macho Man Randy Savage was lying and they don't have a secret weapon in their corner and that it's not Mr. Perfect. He knows where his bread is buttered. Savage would eventually manage to break free from IRS after hip-tossing him out of the abdominal stretch and crawling to his corner for the next elimination when the Warrior makes the hot tag from Savage and cleans house. Clotheslines for everybody. Eventually, Jimmy Hart would get in the apron and get involved, and Warrior would pick him up and press-slam him onto Money Incorporated, who are outside on the floor. He would then exit the ring and go after them on the floor, taking it to both of them as the referee would eventually make the count out and count all three of them out so the warrior and both money incorporated have been eliminated from this survivor series match the warrior would chase jimmy hart and money inc back to the to the locker room with a chair as now macho man randy savage is all alone with rick flair and razor ramon the two heels work on savage some more in his lower back area we get some quick tags from flair and ramon as they are in full control but here's the finish it comes when Razor sends Savage into the ropes, and with his back turned, Perfect goes to trip up Savage, not realizing that Macho reversed Razor, and it was Razor's foot he tripped instead. Razor turns around and yells at Perfect, who then apologizes to him while distracting him as Savage gives Razor a, uh, a schoolboy roll-up for the elimination. Flair... He just about loses it. Bobby Heenan, same thing. He takes his headset off and heads down to the ring to confront Mr. Perfect. Flair would continue the beating on Savage, who who, who had barely beaten Razor in the last fall. Um, working on that lower back some more. Working on the leg, too. Trying to set up for the figure four. Um, Heenan, who is seen at ringside berating Mr. Perfect for his mistake, is now questioning his loyalty to the group. He would order Mr. Perfect to fix it and make things right. And as he goes to do that, Bobby Heenan gets on the apron and distracts the referee. Perfect takes off his coat, grabs a chair, enters the ring with Flair holding Savage up. Perfect goes to swing the chair, nails Savage in the head. Heenan still distracting the referee. Flair demands Perfect nail him again. Flair props Savage up. 
Perfect tells him to cover him and get the win. Flair says, no, you hit him with that chair. Perfect, reluctant to do so, he nails Savage. This time, Heenan would nail the referee, completely taking him out of the mix. He then starts to bark orders at Mr. Perfect, telling him to obey Flair or he's fired. Perfect goes to swing the chair, but he stops himself, drops the chair, and tries to walk away. Flair stops him and gets in his face, ordering him to pick up the chair. Perfect tries to leave again, but this time, Flair slaps him in the face. Perfect then looks like he's going to comply with Flair, picking up the chair, but swings and nails Flair. Heenan loses his mind. Perfect swings the chair at him, but misses as he backs off the apron. Perfect then would drape Randy Savage over Flair's body and leave the ringside area. Another referee runs down to make the cover, and your winner and sole survivor is Macho Man Randy Savage. Uh-huh. Perfect would then nail Bobby on the way out, and then confronted by Razor in the aisle, also gets a right hand for his troubles. Crowd goes ballistic as Macho Man is barely carried to his feet by referees and officials. And as all that's taking place, we cut back to Mean Gene, who is waiting at the curtain for Mr. Perfect and asks him if this was part of Savage's plan all along. Was he the secret weapon? He says he doesn't know what Macho was trying to do, but the only thing Macho did was make him realize that he doesn't walk behind anybody and who is becoming devalued as Flair's executive consultant. He got tired of his role in the group not being taken seriously, and he's done taking orders from anybody. It's about time we all got to see the real Mr. Perfect in the WWF once again we then cut to a video package that hypes the next pay-per-view the 1993 royal rumble event actually you know before i recap that um going along with this story here mr perfect uh turning on rick flair and razor ramon um you know, like I said, 1992 in real time, nine days prior, Perfect was an alternate for Ultimate Warrior um, getting fired, and they did like a quick turn with Mr. Perfect teaming up with Randy Savage. Savage would ask him to be the partner, and Mr. Perfect kind of like shrugged it off and was like, what are you talking about? Like, you want me to be your partner against Razor Ramon and Ric Flair? What are you, crazy? And then Savage is stirring it up some more. Bobby Heenan says Perfect would never do that. You know, he, he, he takes orders from Flair, and that's what set Perfect off, and he slapped Bobby Heenan around, and, you know, bing, bang, boom, he's, mis- he's Macho Man's tag partner at Survivor Series that year. Um, in this story... We kind of burn that turn just a little bit longer, kind of keeping with, um, you know, the same buildup that we saw in 92, but instead of, you know, turning and joining Savage at Survivor Series, he would be in Flair's corner and turn on Flair. And that will set us off into 1993 with Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair. Um you know, as as one of the top rivalries going into the end of the year, heading into 93. Um It's announced via a video package that the next pay-per-view, the Royal Rumble, will be for the right to face the WWF champion at WrestleMania 9. Still keeping with the theme here. Um, Sticking with, uh, you know, what's taking place, you know, heading into 1993 now. Um, We get Vince to welcome us back, and he's now joined by Gorilla Monsoon, who says that the brain has his hands full, and he thought he should come out and take his place for the evening. They eventually recap what we just witnessed as we send it back to Sean Mooney, who's with a very, very hurt and beat up Macho Man Randy Savage and the WWF champion Bret the Hitman Hart. Mooney also would ask Macho Man if Perfect was the secret weapon. He says, yes and no. 
Yes, because we all finally got to see Flair and his goons crumble within, thanks to Mr. Perfect finally seeing the light. But no, because he didn't directly, I didn't directly have a plan with Mr. Perfect. I helped influence Perfect's decision by stirring it up and allowing the kingdom to fall, uh-huh. They then move on to their thoughts on the grand finale match of survival, and Brett is thrilled that Savage is on his team, but they have a tough road ahead of them in the team of Yokozuna, Bam Bam Bigelow, and the Head Shrinkers. Brett says he and Macho Man will be healing up and scouting their partners for the main event tonight. Our next match, Kamala, Nails, Repo Man, and the Berserker take on The Undertaker, The Big Boss Man, Crush, and El Matador, Tito Santana. The heels come out together with no sight of Kim Chi anywhere. Gorilla and Vincent speculate that maybe Kim Chi saw the light just like Mr. Perfect and got rid of the excess baggage that is Harvey Whippleman. Crush and El Matador make their way to the ring waiting for their partners when all of a sudden the big boss man's music hits and he runs down the aisle with his nightstick and goes after Nails. Both guys can't get enough of each other. Both guys beating the shit out of each other with their nightsticks. Referees and members of both teams attempt to break this up, but they just can't seem to get it under control when all of a sudden Jack Tunney, Jack Tunney, the president of the World Wrestling Federation, then makes his way down the aisle and he goes directly to Howard Finkel and tells Finkel that due to the uncontrollable actions of the big boss man and his pre-match attack on Nails, he's been disqualified from this match and will need to leave the ringside area immediately. Wow. Already setting up the baby faces at a four four to three disadvantage. Um, as things calm down um, with all that chaos in the pre the, the pre-match, um, the Undertaker appears and makes his way down the aisle with Paul Burr, who brought the coffin to the ringside area. Kamala who looks visibly shaken at the sight of the casket, tries to leave, but his teammates and Harvey Whippleman stop him from doing so. The bell would ring, and Undertaker motions for Bearer to open the coffin, and we find that Kim Chi is in that coffin, which scares the hell out of Kamala. He runs for his life, jumps over the guardrail, into the crowd, and he is counted out. Similar to what we've seen in 1992 on episodes of Superstars. Go back and check it out on the network. Um... We would then get nails on the attack with Undertaker, as Undertaker hasn't even gotten his coat and jacket off yet, or coat and hat off yet. Um, they fight on the outside while Berserker goes at it with El Matador. Crush eventually goes after Repo Man, and the referee just can't seem to th- get things in order. Eventually, Berserker, El Matador, Repo Man, and Crush would all brawl in the aisle while the Undertaker delivered a choke slam to Nails for the pin and then another elimination. Referee managed to to then count out the other four individuals that I just mentioned, leading to The Undertaker winning and become the sole survivor of the match. This was a pretty short match. I booked it this way because um, Undertaker, um, you know, had a hodgepodge of guys with him. You know, it, it kind of made sense that Bossman didn't fully get his hands on Nails. He's been waiting for so long, he just got a little taste of it. Undertaker and Nails had some issues with each other um, before this Survivor Series event. So Undertaker had a little piece of Nails. He kind of touched on the stuff with Kamala. Kamala's scared of the coffin. Kamala would, you know, run away and get himself counted out. Um, yeah, so I mean, you know, it, it it seems appropriate that we would see something like this take place in 1992, so why not put it into my story of my Survivor Series? Um, Bossman would eventually come back out looking for retribution on Nails. Um, 
Gets him with the nightstick again, and then eventually handcuffs him to the ropes. Crowd gets into it as Boss Man teases that he's finally going to get a piece of nails, who is helpless, handcuffed to the ropes. Uh, gives him a gives him a few swipes of the nightstick just before officials finally stop the boss man from continuing his assault. Boss man would back away and leave and leave the uh, ringside area, feeling justified after what nails had put him through. Um, Undertaker is also seen leaving the ringside area as well. Not long after that, as it's made official, he will now team with Bret Hart and Macho Man to take on Yokozuna, Bam Bam Bigelow, and the Head Shrinkers in the grand finale match of Survival. Cut back to Lord Alfred Hayes, who is trying to get a word with Ric Flair and Razor Ramon, but they shove the cameraman and slam the locker room door shut. We then cut to some highlights with a uh, voiceover from uh, Sean Mooney, um, and we see the finish of the Hulk Hogan WrestleMania 8 match with Psycho Sid, which saw Papa Shango and Ultimate Warrior do the run-in. Uh, we cut back to Gorilla and Vince, who preview the teams in the grand finale match of Survival. And it will be a four-on-three elimination match. And as they discuss this, Heenan makes his way back to the booth, raving like a lunatic at what Mr. Perfect did, calling him ungrateful, miserable, jealous of Ric Flair, and basically setting the seeds for revenge in the very near future, which we would eventually see in 1993. Um, Flair would have his issues with Mr. Perfect, Razor Ramon still, and then eventually Bobby Heenan would enlist in the narcissist Lex Luger to take out Mr. Perfect. Um, Bobby would try to kick Gorilla out, out of the, the booth saying, all right, you know, time for you to go back to the banana tree. It's time for me to do my job now. Um, doesn't work. Um, Gorilla's deciding he's going to stay. Vince allows it. Um, Heenan then tries to collect himself and, and say that I only came back to witness the retirement of Hulk Hogan. So you can stay Monsoon. Very typical Bobby Heenan. Uh, Double standards there. Um, as we get to Mean Gene, who's on the interview platform, and he introduces Hulk Hogan to a thunderous ovation from the audience. Hogan decked out in his traditional bandana, yellow shirt, red spandex, the gold cross, and the yellow cowboy boots. He poses a little bit for the crowd and soaks in the adulation as Gene gets right into it and asks the million-dollar question, why did you return tonight to the Survivor Series? What are you here for? Hogan says that he's reached a crossroads in his life. Well, he doesn't exactly say that. He says, let me tell you something, Mean Gene. I've reached a crossroad in my life. I've been to the mountaintop of the WWF, dude, and I've done everything I've set out to accomplish. I've had a lot of time to think since WrestleMania 8, and I've received thousands of letters from all my Hulkamaniacs asking me if I was coming back. I've had time to work on other projects in Hollywood. I've spent a lot of time with my family, my wife, and my kids, brother. But I also got to spend some time with my closest friend, Brother Brudai, Brutus the Barber Beefcake. And in that time, with Brutus, I've been by his side every step of the way in rehab after that near-death boating accident that almost took his life, dude. And he saw what it did to Brutus. I, mean, I, I can't do any more Hogan voice, I'm gonna otherwise I'm going to lose my voice. Um, he saw what Brutus did, or what, what, what the accident did to Brutus as a man. And as he was thinking about all the blessings he's experienced during his career in the WWF, he's had to watch his best friend's career get cut short and how much that has affected him. He realized how important Brutus is to him and to his family, even going as far as to say he's almost like family. He's like a brother, brother. And he was contemplating his future when Brutus came up to him and asked him if he would help train him to make a comeback. 
Hogan at first said that he advised against the dangers of stepping into the ring due to the injuries his face suffered in that accident. But then he realized that he's got a purpose. He can't just walk away yet. His best friend needs him, and that's why he's here to announce his return to the WWF. Stand by side by side with him and win the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Championship. Mean Gene thrilled to hear the news. Vincent Gorilla, same thing. Bobby Heenan on commentary says, if my night couldn't get any worse. Then Gene talks to Beefcake, and Beefcake says that he's honored Hulk would do this for him and how much it means to him that Hulk is holding off retirement for him to train train him for what he feels could be the greatest comeback in WWF history. Just before Hogan delivers the what you gonna do, brother, closing line, the lights begin to flicker. Gene and the announcers joke that the electric bill hadn't been paid. Then they allow, then the lights go out completely, and when they come back, Papa Shango is standing in front of the platform, just a few feet away with his smoking skull, and looks to be delivering one of his infamous curses. On commentary, Heenan jokes that Hogan's about to throw up, just like Ultimate Warrior did, when all of a sudden, that black gooey stuff that we've seen other guys have is coming out of Hulk Hogan's bandana, dripping down his face, as he, and he's watching this all unfold. Mean Gene doesn't know what to think. Hogan doesn't know what to think. And as he's watching this black goo come out of his bandana and all over his face and his body, from out of nowhere, Jake the Snake Roberts delivers a DDT to Brutus Beefcake right on his head and face area on the interview platform and runs off before Hogan can get him. Brain just absolutely loses it on commentary. Absolutely loving this. Um... Jake is seen walking away with Papa Shango while referees and officials tend to beefcake. Just before Jake and Papa Shango walk through the curtain, Jake holds up Hogan's cross to show him what he took from him as Hogan didn't realize it was gone. And he stands over his best friend, hoping and praying that everything's okay. Now, this is the little twist and surprise I put in here. Number one, Hulk Hogan's retirement, or the re- rumored retirement speech, but also the return of Jake the Snake Roberts. Um, earlier that year at WrestleMania 8, Jake the Snake Roberts left after losing to Undertaker. Uh, behind the scenes, he uh, had a dispute with Vince McMahon, and he thought he was going to be the head booker, and they decided not to give him that position. So Jake held the company up and said, if you don't give me my release, I'm not going to go out there and do this match. And they let him go. And he eventually would sign with WCW later that year in the summer um, and have a, a rivalry with Sting leading to their match at Halloween Havoc and spin the wheel, make the deal. Um, horrible match, coal miner's glove, sucked a dick big time. Um, yeah, it was bad. Um, and then eventually Jake would leave WCW not long after that. Um, and from my experience meeting Jake in you know 2019, my wife and I went to uh, his, uh, his stand-up show, which was, by the way, it was awesome. I asked him, why'd you, why was your tenure so short in WCW? Because I didn't even know why it was. And he said, um, he, goes, he goes, I quit because Bill Watts is a piece of shit. Exact words from Jake the Snake. He said that Bill Watts cost him millions of dollars, tried to take away the gimmick from him, and uh, he couldn't take it anymore, so he quit. So, for the purposes of my story, there's not going to be one of those non-compete clauses. Jake's going to make this surprise appearance. Vince is going to give him a call and say, Jake, I need you to come back. I need a hot, I got, I, I need a hot angle. I need you to, 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 to work with Hogan. We're finally going to put you against Hogan. Um, if you remember, I think it was 86, 
They tried to do Hogan and Jake, and Jake gave him a DDT on the snake pit, and according to the the urban legend, the crowd went crazy and loved it, and um, that's how they kind of turned Jake Roberts babyface, but they never aired that episode of uh, Wrestling Challenge, or that segment on Wrestling Challenge, I should say, uh, because... Uh, it was it was geared towards making Jake look like a babyface, and they didn't want to do that at the expense of Hogan. So um, in this story here, Jake and Hogan finally have that big main event match eventually. Um, so this kind of sets the scene for you know Hogan and Jake to have a singles run, maybe even Hogan and Beefcake against Jake and Papa Shango. Um, yeah, we we could see this kind of ride out the end of the year, maybe even be a featured match on the undercard at the Royal Rumble in 1993. Who knows? Uh, maybe this leads to Hogan and Jake in a singles match at WrestleMania. I, you know, who knows? Um, but this is what my story is, my Survivor Series. Um, we get the commentators discussing what they just saw, the shocking events that unfolded. Um, you see Brutus uh, carried off on a stretcher while Hogan is visibly upset that his friend was taken out and he couldn't do anything about it. Which then leads us to our main event, the grand finale match of survival. Brett the Hitman Hart, the Macho Man Randy Savage, and The Undertaker taking on the team of Yokozuna, Bam Bam Bigelow, and the Head Shrinkers. Um, like I said, not going to break down the match completely, but we get our first elimination when Yokozuna delivers a running splash to Macho Man in the corner and then a bonsai drop for the elimination. As the match continues with all the other participants going at it, Yoko isn't finished and he decides he wants to give Macho Man another bonsai drop, which he does. And then the referee calls for the bell and disqualifies Yokozuna. It's now 3-2. to two. Bam Bam Bigelow then jumps on Brett, working on the knee a little bit as the referee manages to finally maintain order. He sets up Brett for a diving headbutt, but drop, but Brett drop kicks Bigelow off the top rope and onto the floor. Bigelow is out, can't get up. Referee makes the count, and Bigelow is counted out and eliminated from this Survivor Series elimination match. The next finish comes when Brett delivers a front face atomic drop to Samu, which then turns into a choke slam by The Undertaker for the pin. Fatu then would try to save face as the final member of his team, only for The Undertaker to deliver a tombstone and then Brett giving him the sharpshooter for the victory. And your winners and sole survivors, the WWF champion Brett the Hitman Hart and The Undertaker as the two go off the air celebrating at the 1992 Survivor Series. And there you guys have it. That is my 1992 Survivor Series, the Cliff Notes version, with the eliminations and how things got to where they are. And Now, where do we go from here? Where do we go with all these finishes? Well, like I said, let's start with the, let's start with the, the Hogan situation. Could it lead to him and Jake? Yes. Could it lead to him and Beefcake and Jake and Papa Shango? Absolutely. Um, you know, Ric Flair, clearly him and Razor Ramon have the issues with Mr. Perfect. Um Maybe Yokozuna, you know, does a, a little stopgap rivalry with Randy Savage. You put him in a big match situation where Randy Savage helped build up his credibility as this monster. Savage giving him the rub. Maybe um, that leads to the, eventually their showdown in the 1993 Royal Rumble match, which saw Yoko in 93 eliminate Savage. Maybe we, maybe that stays part of this story, this timeline, so to speak. Um, Brett, the WWF champion, where does he go from here? Well, I mean... You know, he headlined that 93 Rumble with Razor Ramon, but maybe before he gets to Razor Ramon, he, you know, finishes things off with Shawn Michaels or maybe the model Rick Martel. I mean, who knows? Maybe, um, you know, 
Maybe even he gets a he he gives Ric Flair a rematch before Flair wrestles Mr. Perfect. Um Undertaker, I mean, obviously him and Kamala gonna have to have that coffin match, gonna have to settle it that way. Uh, maybe they set up a Saturday night's main event before the Royal Rumble or a special episode of Primetime Wrestling or Wrestling Challenge. We got Undertaker in a coffin match with Kamala. Um, Big Boss Man and Nails definitely going to have to have that nightstick match. Um, in my story, it, it, it won't happen at Survivor Series, obviously, but maybe it'll happen before the end of the year on a special episode of, like I said, Primetime or Wrestling Challenge or maybe even another Saturday night's main event. Um the Steiner brothers clearly going to get in the mix, uh, according to my story um, and my Survivor Series with the Beverly brothers, and they're going to start things off, and then maybe eventually we'll see them get to Money Incorporated. Who knows? What about Ultimate Warrior? Um, are him and Macho Man still going to be a tag team? Are they going to maybe challenge for the, the WWF Tag Team Championship against uh, Money Incorporated? Warrior seemed to have his hands full by himself. Um, who knows how that's going to turn out? But those are just some of the... Um, the things that, you know, in in my fantasy world of WWF at that time um, could take place, realistically. Even in that fantasy world, realistically, it could take place. Um, and, yeah, that about does it. Um, hope you guys all enjoyed it this week. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I still wanted to do a Survivor Series theme show. I thought this would be a great idea. Tip, dip my toe in the water. Please, by all means, let me know how I did. If I did a shitty job, then I will gladly tell you that I did a shitty job. Um, hopefully, I did good by you guys with this fantasy booked Survivor Series from November the 25th, 1992. Like I said, this was a Survivor Series event that was okay, and it was the first year that they... They ditched and uh, abandoned the, the the elimination format to be the centerpiece of this pay-per-view. And I thought, in my world, why not bring it back, add a few surprises, kind of keep with the roster and the stories that have taken place and, and realistically bring it together. And, uh, yeah, I think this would have been a cool Survivor Series. You let me know what you think by hitting us up on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash kickingout2, as well as our Twitter. Our handle is at kickingout2. You can find all the great shows of Kicking Out of Two as well as the other great shows of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network over on Podbean, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify, and all podcast platforms available. And next week, as we head into the Thanksgiving holiday, we're going to be bringing you all in the kayfabe family. My shoot brother, Justin Rosenbluth, is going to be joining me. And we're going to you know, discuss um, storyline siblings and relatives in wrestling history. They say that you can't pick your family, but in the world of prof professional wrestling, promoters and bookers knew how to pick relatives and, and siblings. And they certainly did that over the course of history. Talking about Undertaker and Kane, Edging Christian, Smoking Guns, um, Kevin and, and Dave Sullivan. We're going to list all kinds of different storyline-related um, siblings and family members and uh, discuss whether they would have been believable as, as siblings or um, if, you know, it was just, you know, it, it didn't it didn't come across as brother and sister, brother or whoever. But anyhow, I'm, I'm kind of stumbling over my words here as we close it out. Um, like I said, thinking about doing a bonus show for Thanksgiving weekend, maybe Black Friday, uh, Black Friday bonus show. Last year we did a, um, a, a, a kind of free form uh, open discussion. Dennis joined me and we discussed just whatever came to our minds. Maybe we'll do that again. Maybe we'll do Survivor Series 1990 watch party. I don't know, but... Um, 
Be on the lookout. Possible bonus show coming your way Thanksgiving weekend. Next weekend, all in the kayfabe family. And, yeah, that about does it this week for our fantasy booked Survivor Series from 1992. And I think it's about that time that we put this show down for the three count. My time as an armchair booker and quarterback has come to an end. Hope you all enjoyed it, and we will see you all next week.